Hey guys, my name is Alan Peacock, pastor of the Awakening Church. We're located in Smithfield, North Carolina on Bookadary Road, right across from Triple S High School and the Aquatic Center. And I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you so much for visiting our site today. Turn to somebody and say, now what? Now what? That's the series that we started last week. And we basically just started talking about the will of God for our lives. So, you know, oftentimes people ask me, okay, I'm saved, now what? And so we just talked about what is the will of God for our lives. Last week we, we dug a footing, so to speak. We poured some concrete. We laid a foundation. And the reason for that is because the foundation is everything that is built is built on that foundation. So we got to get the foundation right. And so last week we just begin to talk about what is the will of God for every Christian all of the time? What is the will of God for every Christian all of the time? And so we we talked about all of that last week. And I think it's important for you to understand that because here's the thing. If you don't understand God's revealed will, then you have no hope of understanding his concealed will. Amen? If you're not willing to do what he has told you to do, how can you possibly discern what he has not told you to do? And so we, we had to start on that foundation. And, and with that, I think so much of the success in our lives, it comes through diligence when it comes to the fundamentals. Uh, it, it's the little things, the unglamorous things, the, the small things uh, that, that are effective and make our lives powerful. So it's like doing the same thing over and over and over again. I heard it said uh, this past week, as a matter of fact, that it's what happens in empty gyms that fill up arenas. It's what happens in an empty gym that fills up arenas. <clears throat> and so sometimes, oftentimes in life, we want to be in the spotlight. We want to be in the, in the public view. But here's what you got to understand about that. Public victory will always come through private faithfulness. So you got to be faithful in the little things. You've got to be faithful when nobody's looking. Are you faithful in that? And so again, the little things is what makes a big difference in our life. And so we talked about all of that last week. This week, I want to talk a little bit about how do we navigate the difficult waters of making a decision in life when things are a little fuzzy? Have you ever been there before? Have you ever had times in your life where you were, you were really kind of like, Lord, I just don't know. I don't know if this is right. I don't know if I need to go this way. And so there are times in our life when we get that. We said last week, you know, life would be really nice if it was like Dora. You know, when Dora and Boots, when they get in trouble and they say, the map, and all of a sudden here comes the map and X marks the spot and you got to go through the strawberry patch and over the chocolate waterfall and, and there you go. But unfortunately, our lives are not like that. There's not a map, so to speak, that's laid out for us all of the time. Um, in other words, there's often times where there's not really a scripture and a verse you can go to. For instance, the Bible will tell you what kind of person to look for when you're looking for a wife, when you're looking for a husband. But when you're walking in harmony with God and you're, you're serving Him and seeking Him and, and you look around, there may be several candidates that fit that bill. So, so, so how do you pick? Because how many of you know there's no chapter and verse for blonde or brunette, y'all? So which one do you do? Which one do you pick? And then there's times where you may like a girl and your friend likes the same girl you like. 
And so then you have to go back to Dora and say, swipe or no swiping. I mean, you know, you just got to do that. So the point is that oftentimes in life, there are things that we're hit with that there's more than one good choice. So how do I decide? How do I know which way I need to go? And, and I'm certainly uh, no fountain of wisdom by any means, but, but there are some things that I've learned in my life about wading through the waters of fuzziness when it comes to discerning God's will for your life. And so today's going to be a little bit different. Today I want to maybe be a little more teachy with you. And I really just want to kind of lay out to you today kind of my travel log, if you will, when it comes to discerning God's will in our lives, that concealed will. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And again, when it comes to the will of God for our life, sometimes it can be confusing. Sometimes it will make you to where it seems like you're losing your bearings. And, but I believe that God wants us to be able to have confidence in those seasons in our life. He wants us to be able to speak in faith even when we're not quite sure what it is. He wants us to believe in our hearts that we are doing it right now. Turn to somebody and say, you're doing it right now. You're doing it right now. Uh, sometimes we try to make the will of God out to be this shadowy, this mysterious thing, but oftentimes the truth is it's far less exotic than what we think it is. Uh, see, I believe that the will of God is not something that you have to sit around and, and just wait for. I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting on the will of God. Now, I, I don't believe you find it like that, but I believe that the will of God is all around us and God is waiting for us to open our eyes of faith to see it, to sense it, and to discover it and to realize that it is here right now. So are you at Romans chapter 12 yet? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, very familiar scripture. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, thank you so much for the privilege to be here today. Uh, God, thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our pathway. And so, Father, right now, we just ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds, and help us to hear and receive from you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Let me kind of give you the whole sermon today in, in a nutshell, kind of in sentence form. So here's the whole sermon in sentence form. God's will is more present than the future. God's will is more present than the future, but often it remains invisible until it's in the past. God's will is more present than the future, but oftentimes it will remain invisible until it's in the past. And that's what I believe Paul is talking about in this text. He's talking about that there is a way to live where the will of God is an outcome. It's not just something that you're sitting in your house and you're looking at four walls and you're just saying, God, I'm waiting for your will. I'm waiting for your will. No, Paul says this is something that indirectly happens as you are busy about the Father's business. 
And I mean, here's the thing. All of us want to know the will of God for our lives. We want to have confidence to say, I know what the will of God is for me. We want to be like Paul. I am an apostle by the will of God. We all want that kind of confidence to be able to look at life and say, I know my purpose. I know my destiny. I know that I am walking in God's will right now. And how much more confident would you be if you knew that? Like when you woke up in the morning and you stepped out of your bed, how much more confident would you be knowing that you are in God's will right at this moment? I think all of us would be more confident. So the question is, how do we get there? How do we get there? Well, it happens in the present. It happens right now. Because again, verse 1, it says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So in other words, you have to present yourself to God as a present, as a sacrifice. So in the present, right now, I present myself to God as a present. See, I, in my mind, I saw you guys like blowing up, running laps and all that. It totally didn't work out. Okay, so anyway... What is a sacrifice? I was talking about this with Aiden this morning. Aiden's in the service with me today. And I was talking about, you know, just sacrifice. And he was like, what is a sacrifice? So here's the thing. Here's what you need to know about a sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they would place the sacrifice on the altar and the smoke of that sacrifice would go up to God. So a sacrifice is something that is fully given, fully committed. You can't have half the sacrifice on the altar and half of it off the altar. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of people today want to live their lives. They want one foot in heaven and one foot in Hades. They want one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Don't shout me down because I know. But anyway, that's how we want to live our lives. But a sacrifice is something that is fully given, fully committed, and to be a living sacrifice simply means that you wake up every single day and you look up to heaven and say, God, here am I. Take me, use me, send me. I give my life to you. So in the present, I'm presenting myself to God as a present. God, I'm yours. Fill me with your spirit as a hand feels a glove. Lord, let it be that every time I walk into a room, I walk into that room on a mission, on an assignment from heaven. I'm not just floating around through life, but God has equipped me and anointed me and commissioned me so that I can do something great for him. That's what it means to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Jesus said, occupy till I come. So we all know that Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. But until that day, he said, I need you to occupy. I need for you to be my hands. I need for you to be my feet. And so essentially today, you and I are his ambassadors. We are his royal representatives, and we are on a mission from God right now. But he doesn't stop there because he goes on and he says, hey, here's what you need to know. Do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't walk in the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Jesus says you are to live in the world, but not be of the world. And the church, the Greek word for church is the word ekklesia. It means the called out ones. So you and I as the church, we are not to be uh, associated with the things of this world. Why? Because the world is worshiping different things. 
The world has a different value system. The world is worshiping sex and money. The world is lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of flesh. But you and I have been called out of all of that and not to be conformed to that. One writer said, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. That's a good interpretation. So we are to live different than the world lives. How do we do that? By being transformed, having our minds renewed. So that is to say that we get into God's Word and we let God's Word come into our hearts. And when God's Word gets in our heart, it changes who we are. It changes the way we think. That's why the Apostle Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So how do we let the mind of Christ be in us? Well, what did Jesus do? He constantly served other people. So for you and I, we are not only to just look out for our interests, but we are to look at life and say, how can I make life better for other people? How can I serve other people? So every day, every moment, you present yourself to God in the present as a present. And then verse 1 says, that's your reasonable service. That's a reasonable service. So, so Paul is saying each moment, each day you wake up, you are to simply say, God, I'm yours today. Whatever you want me to do, whatever you want to happen, I'm going to show up at work. God, who do you want me to minister to? I'm going to show up at school. God, who do you want me to talk to? Who can I tell about you? I'm presenting myself to God as a living sacrifice. Here I am, God, send me. Let me ask you a question real quick. How many of you do that? But see, this is the characteristic that God wants our lives to be about. It's waking up knowing that I'm on a mission. I'm an ambassador. I am occupying the place he's called me to for this present time. God, in the present, I present myself to you. What's your agenda? Let your will be done, God, not mine. And that is reasonable. Why is it reasonable? Because Jesus gave everything to purchase you. The Bible says, don't you know you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. What price were you bought with? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus bought all of you, not just an hour on the weekends. He bought all of you. He bought all of you. He gave his whole life, so therefore he wants your whole life. And what is the reasonable thing we could do? We are to say, God, you bought all of me. You gave your life for me, so I'm giving my life for you. Here I am. Use me. Send me. In the present, I present myself to you as a present. Do you guys understand that we were on death row? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So you and I were, were in prison, so to speak, and Jesus come walking through and say, hey, what is the punishment for these guys? And somebody says, well, hey, the electric chair. Jesus says, put their blood on my bill. I'll pay for it. Jesus strapped himself to our electric chair, and he gave his life for us. So in turn, we are to say, how can I serve you? How can I worship you? How can I make things better according to what you think, Lord? That is reasonable. It's not like he's asking a lot from us. I'm going to turn to somebody and say, that's not a lot to ask. You understand the only reason why we're alive in Christ is because of what he gave. So in the present, present yourself to him as a present, as a sacrifice. And when we do that, it says that you may prove that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. 
So you understand that oftentimes God's will is more present than the future. But oftentimes we don't see it until it's in the past. Let me give you an example. I was reading scripture the other day, and I had read this scripture several times, and this scripture just kind of jumped out at me and kind of stuck in my heart. And so I did a little studying on it, not really knowing what it was for. It wasn't to prepare for a message or anything. It was just a scripture I was reading. And a few days later, I was meeting with another pastor, and he and I were talking, and I just felt in my heart to share some things from that scripture because of what he was going through. I shared from my heart what was, on the, uh, what was in that scripture, and it blessed that guy tremendously. I was on my way home, and it dawned on me, God, I was totally in your will. That's how the will of God works. So as you're doing things, as you're about his business, you'll look back and say, man, I was in the will of God. How did that happen? Because I wasn't focused on it. I was focused on him. It happened while I presented myself to him. And when it happens, it's going to be good, it's going to be acceptable, and it's going to be perfect. And so it's almost as if the will of God is more of a journey than a destination. And so you're sitting there thinking, well, when am I going to get there? When am I going to get into the will of God? No, you're doing it right now. Just oftentimes when you do it, you don't see the proof of it until it's in your rearview mirror. And here's why, because God wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. Romans chapter 117 says, the just shall live by faith. So we wish that life could be like Dora where the map would come down and God would just lay out everything for me and here's which way to go and here's what you need to do. But how many of you know if God did that, there would be no need for faith? And the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. So we need faith. Do you understand God will never set things up in our lives to where we don't need him? Why? Because it's about a relationship. It's not a scavenger hunt. It's about someone, not something. It's about a person to know, not a plan to discover. And that's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own brain. That's how my son remembers it. I was talking to Aiden this morning. I said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to what? He said, my brain. Amen. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And what will he do? He will direct your path. So God's will will not be found by you just sitting around waiting on it. It unfolds as you seek him. As you're about his business. So I guess you could say the will of God is something you will miss out on if you're sitting around waiting for it. But if you're trusting him and honoring him and walking by faith and not by sight, if you're seeking to bring him glory, if you're acknowledging him in all your ways. And here's the thing about acknowledging someone. Have you ever been in a crowded room before? And there was someone that you know that came in but you didn't acknowledge them? I mean, they walked in and you didn't at least just look at them and say, you know, kind of give them the head nod. You didn't acknowledge them at all. But there always comes that moment where you're standing beside them and they're standing beside you and there's this awkwardness because you won't acknowledge them. Here's what you need to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is with us all of the time and all he wants us to do is acknowledge him. Acknowledge him in all your ways. And when we do that, he will direct our paths. So it's almost like while you're busy pedaling, he's doing the steering. 
kind of like a bicycle. So in a bicycle, kind of representing the will of God, God, what's your will for my life? Which way do I go? What do you want me to do? God's like, I, I can't steer. You, you're not moving. But isn't this what we do? God, I'm going to sit around and wait for your will. I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting on God to send me a husband. And you've been sitting in your house for three years with rollers up in your head. Take your rollers out and get out into the world and go. And God will begin to steer your life. So it's kind of like riding a bike. You know, just riding. And while I'm riding, God is steering. Watch out. Yep. So there you go. It's the whole time I'm riding, whoop, God is steering. Let me stop for a wreck and then y'all really laugh. Let me, let me show you a great scripture to put to memory when it talks about riding a bicycle. Genesis 24, 27. Some of you are looking at me like he is going to Hades. He rode a bike in church. Genesis 24, 27. Let me point out something to you. And he said, who is he? He is Eleazar. This is Abraham's servant. And he said, blessed be the Lord God, my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, what does it say? Being on the way. Being on the way. The Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Let me give you a little context. Abraham says to Eleazar, his servant, I want you to go out and find a wife for my son Isaac. It's interesting because Eleazar found a wife for Isaac not by sitting in the temple, not by sitting in the house, but the Bible says he was being on the way, and as he was doing that, God led him. So he said, as I was moving, God led me. And I think sometimes we sit around and we're just waiting for God's will. And God said, I can't steer you because you're not moving. You're just sitting there. So you understand that we have to focus on the movement. We have to focus on doing what he told us to do. And he will lead and direct our paths as we do that. So how does he do the steering? Well, we, we read it in Romans through our thinking. Matter of fact, Proverbs 16.3 is a good scripture. Commit your words to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So when you're living the way he wants you to live, you're going to think the way he wants you to think. Your thoughts are the vehicle to which he steers your life. So if you're sitting there and say, well, what's God's will for my life? I just don't know. I think this is a whole lot of spiritual. No, I think it's a lot more natural than what you think it is. Because as you're presenting yourself to him, as you wake up every single day and say, God, in the present right now, I present myself to you as a present, as a sacrifice. And in doing that, waking up each day saying, God, I want your value system. I don't want the world to tell me what the value. I want you to tell me what the value. I don't want the world to tell me what success is. I want you to tell me what success is. And so as I read his word, he reveals his will and and I hide his word in my heart that I might not sin against him. So if you keep reading his word, keep reading his thoughts, then whatever God you tell me to do is going to set the pace for my life and what gets in my head is going to drop in my heart. 
And I'm going to know, God, what you want me to do. But you got to be willing to move. It's kind of like last week we were talking about moms. And next week you need to come. You need to invite everybody you can to get in this house because we've got something very special for our moms next week. Not only for moms, but for all ladies in the house. So you need to be here next week. But it's kind of like that mom. And she's got kids laying around and she's sitting there praying to God, Lord, what is your will for my life? I want somebody to witness to. Lane, if you don't shut up and leave me alone, go on somewhere. Lord, I'm looking for a mission field, Father. What is the mission? Samantha, I'm not going to tell you again. Go in your room. What is the mission field? And God's like, hello, there's your mission field. The prayer has been answered. Go about it. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, before your child reaches the age of seven, teach them all the way to heaven. But better yet, the work will thrive if it's done by age five. You guys are dead today. God's word will get stuck in your head and it will drop in your heart. I think a lot of people are scared of God's will. Well, if I start to get in God's will, it's going to keep me from my dream. But what you don't understand is God is probably the one that put the dream in you. God put the dream in you. God's will is nothing to be afraid of. God's will is not punishment. It's not a straitjacket. It is a rocket pack that will send you into places you can never dream or even imagine. God's will is not a prison sentence. It is a permission slip to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And in that moment, you find freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free, Galatians says. Colossians three seventeen, And whatever you do in word or deed... Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Love God. Serve God. God, whatever you want me to do, if you can do it in the name of Jesus, do it. Well, I think I'm going to just go to the club and get plastered. I'm going to go to the club and just get high as a kite. Can you do that in the name of Jesus? Then you probably shouldn't be doing it. Whatever you can do in the name of Jesus... See, here's what I've discovered about life. It's less about what you do and more about how well you do it. It's less about where you're going and more about who you're becoming while you're on the way. And I know we've got some, some, some kids that are graduating from high school and, and the big thing today, what college are you going to? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? But here's what I've discovered about that. I believe that God cares way more about the way you approach your studies than the university you go to. I believe God cares way more about what you're going to do in the dorm room than which dorm room you're in. And I think that applies to all of life. I think He cares way more about how we approach work than the job we choose. Even when you talk about dating, you know, I, 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 Lord, I just got to find the right one. Six foot, six pack, six figures, Lord, send him my way. You're always trying to find the right one, but I think God cares way more about you being the right one. You getting anything out of this? Focus on him, follow him, and don't worry about it. Isn't that what Joshua was told? Joshua chapter one, verse three and four. Watch what God told him. 
God said, I'm going to give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses, your territory. Underline that word, your territory. That's your boundaries. Will extend from the desert of Lebanon, from the great uh, river to Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. So I love this because God is giving Joshua parameters. He's giving him boundaries, but within those boundaries, within those parameters, there's freedom. There's freedom for him to do. And God says the same thing to you and I. He's given us parameters. He's given us boundaries, but within those boundaries, then we have freedom to move, to work, to live in the name of Jesus. Are you following with me? So what are our parameters? Real quick, we talked about it last week, the five G's. Five G's. Here's the first G. Am I growing in grace? Am I thriving in my relationship with God? Because that's a boundary I need to stay in. Here's the second one. Am I growing in a grove? Am I planted planted in the house of the Lord? Do I have a community of God's people around me? Because that's a boundary. That's what I need to stay in. But then am I growing in godliness? Am I sexually pure? That's a boundary. Am I growing in giving? Every time you get paid, it's a test. And who do you pay first? Because that's who you honor the most. So am I giving my tithe? Am I giving my offerings? Am I living a life of, of just sacrificially giving? Am I laying up treasures for myself in heaven? Or am I storing it all up down here on earth where most and rough can destroy it all? Am I growing in gratitude? Am I walking around with an attitude of gratitude? Thank you, Jesus. These are the borders of our promised land. This is where God is calling us to walk in. And as we're walking in these borders, his will will begin to unfold in our lives. But if you're walking outside of these borders, you'll never know God's will for your life. These are our borders. And let me just kind of bring it all to a close today. And let me give you just just three tips. Just three tips really quick today. The first tip when it comes to God's will is listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit. As you continue to move and to walk in Him, listen to the Spirit of God. John 16, 13 says, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. I'm a firm believer that the Holy Spirit uses dreams. The Holy Spirit will use a word of knowledge from other Christians I believe that, that he can give an impression in your heart. He can pull on your heartstring. I, I, I believe all of that. And I also believe it's foolishness for us to ignore the leading of the Holy Spirit. But I want to put a caveat here because this is important. You have to remember that God's word will never be contradicted. So you never put a feeling above God's word. So if, if, if you feel like that God is calling you to do something and it is a contradiction to his word, it is not the leading of the Holy Spirit. It is the burrito you ate last night. Listen to the Holy Spirit. But then here's the second one. Lean in to wise counseling. Lean into wise counseling. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no counsel, the people what? They fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Counseling is so important. There's two or three guys that I call and I talk to every single week. 
every week there's two or three guys that I allow to speak into my life that I tell them what's on my heart. I tell them what's on my mind. I tell them what's going on. And they have the right to look at me and say, you need to go back and pray about that some more. They may look at me and say, you know what? We kind of sense that too. You're right on track. Every week I'm doing that. And why? Because this life is war. There's things that you're going to battle. There's things that are going to come against you. And listen, who you seek counsel from matters greatly. Because you got to be careful whose voice you let get in your head because what you let in your head is going to drop in your heart. And if you're not careful, you will be following the desires of your own heart instead of following God. So if you're going to listen to someone, let me give you this real quick. If you're going to listen to someone, make sure you let the outcome of your life be like theirs is right now. I am giving you guys like some some bombs. If you're going to listen to someone, make sure the person you're listening to that you want the outcome of your life to be like theirs is right now. So don't be taking financial advice from somebody that's broke is no joke. Don't take relationship advice from your crazy cousin that's been married nine times. Okay? And you got to be careful because oftentimes we want to run to people who's going to tell us what we want to hear. But you need to run to somebody that's going to tell you what you need to hear. And just kind of FYI, you can only get godly counsel from godly people. Well, I listened to Tater Talk, man. He said he's saved. He ain't darkened the door of a church in five years. He don't even know John 3.16. I doubt there's godly counsel there. One more tip real quick. Use what's in your hand. Use what's in your hand. You want to figure out God's will? What's in your hand? God's will will always be revealed by what he's put in your hand. What do you have in your hand, Moses? Well, I got a stick. Hey, throw that stick down. I'll turn it into a snake. A snake. A snake. A snake. I'm hungry. It's, it's getting closer. See, see how it is? I'm listening to some counsel of you folks right now, and I'm thinking about a steak. <laughs> Throw it down, I'll turn it into a snake, Moses. Better yet, put it in the edge of the Red Sea. I'll part it for you. God, what's your will? What is in your hand? God will always use what is already in your hand. God, what's your will for my life? What do you have in your hand, chalk? Man. Are you kidding me? You're a teacher? You've got a microphone into a schoolroom that takes an act of Congress to get me in? Think about it. That's your microphone. You've got the next generation in your classes and they're coming in, coming in, coming in. And you've got chalk. You've got a microphone into those kids' lives. What's in your hand? Stethoscope? Cotton ball, tongue depressor. Man, really? You've got people coming to see you on the worst day of their life? That is your microphone. Why are you praying what God's will is? He is sending people to you in droves. What's in your hand? A badge, a gun, handcuffs? Are you joking me? People are about to go through the worst day of their life and they're sitting in the back seat of your car? 
Are you with me? What do you have access to? Let me, let me say it like this. What do you have access to that would take an act of Congress to get me in front of them? Because you got access to some people that will never download a podcast. They'll never go to awakeningnc.org. They'll never listen to a podcast. They probably will never darken the doors of this church. But yet they're sitting across the table from you in the break room. And you're praying about God's will for your life. And God says, there they are. What's in your hand? What's God's will? What's in your hand? Why? Because he will use what's in your hand to release what's in your heart. He will use what's in your hand to release what's in your heart. So again, we're talking about this thing. Now what? God, now what? What's your will? Well, again, last week, the five G's. You've got to know what is God's will for every Christian all of the time. God, how can I figure out your concealed will? Get on the bike. Being on the way. Being the hands and feet of Jesus. You're not pursuing it, you're pursuing Him. And as you're seeking Him, as you're serving Him, as you're crying out to Him, all of His will for your life will begin to unfold right before your very eyes. God, what do you want me to do? Listen to the Holy Spirit. God, what do you want me to do? Listen to wise counsel. And then God will look at you and say, what is in your hand? There's some business owners in here. A lot of business owners at this church. I thank God for you. And you're praying, what is your will? And God said, are you kidding me? You've got your own business. You've got employees that are coming to you all of the time. Why are you asking God's will? They're right there. You're a mom. You're at home. You're praying. What is God's will? You got kids running all around you. Why do you need to know God's will? There they are. Train them up in the way they should go, the Bible says. And when they get older, they won't depart from you. What's God's will for you? What are you doing for Him right now? If you're just coming in and just sitting around and I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm just waiting for God to reveal that will. Do you understand that's not going to happen? Do you understand you're going to come in here three or four years from now and you're still, hey, how are you doing? I'm waiting on the Lord. (laughs) I'm like, really? I'm waiting on the Lord. And I know people like that. I've talked to guys before. And I see them one year, and I'll see them at a conference, and we'll, you know, I go to El Salvador, and they'll come up and, man, pray over them and love on them and, and cry and, and all that. Oh, I'm going to be about God's will. I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord. I said, well, man, just, just go about it. I mean, you got millions of people at your disposal. Just go on out there, preach the gospel. And I go back two years later, here's the same guy. And I said, hey, man. I'm excited because I'm like, man, this guy was full of faith, full of passion. He was ready to get it done. And I go up and I'm like, hey. He said, hey, Pastor. I said, hey, man. I said, tell me how things going for you. I'm waiting on the Lord. 
And I just looked at him and I said, may God hit you right between your eyes. And it's a good thing they don't understand my English over there and my interpreter really dressed that thing up a whole lot for that guy. I'm like, why are you still waiting? Waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord as life is passing you by. You remind me of a, of a cheerleader at a ball game. You cheering everybody else on while the players are on the field needing substitution, needing somebody to come in. There's people that only you can reach with the personality that God has given to you. And you sitting waving your pom-poms, but you need to drop your pom-poms, put on a jersey, and get in the game. And if you get in the game, God's will will unfold before your eyes. That's how you learn the concealed will of God. Be about his business. It's not rocket science, guys. It's just being about the Father's business. What do you want him to do? What are you doing? Look at what is in your hand. Look at what you've got access to. And I guarantee you, it will be attached to his will for your life. Stand with me all over the house.